This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. In April 2005, I was living near Bozeman, Montana, and Dave flew into Bozeman for our first fly fishing trip together since college. Now, we had fished together since college. A couple times you came out to Montana on business, and we'd fish for, what, maybe half a day. But that, yep. was, that was the first time we actually devoted a, like a, it was a three-day uh, trip. It's not that I have such a great memory, but I went back and kind of keep a fly fishing journal and, and read about that recently. That is amazing because I don't keep it, well, I I keep a journal sporadically. Yeah. I did not, until we started thinking about this episode, I, I did not connect that that was the first time yeah. we had actually done a trip since college. That's right. amazing. I know, it really is. So let's think about that. We're, uh, we're mid-50s, I'm 56, you're almost there. You, you'll be almost there by the time this is published, this podcast, <laughs> just saying. But 2005, I mean, how old were we then? We were... 33, Something like that, yeah. Somewhere in that area. So, uh, yeah, early early 30s. And anyway, we spent three days fishing. We did well the first day. It was a Monday in the mouth of the Bear Trap Canyon on the Madison. And I think we each landed about a dozen big that rainbows. Was, that was probably one of the first a, big days oh, fishing nymphs for me. Yeah, that was fantastic. So for day two, why, why enjoy a good thing twice? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd think yeah. differently about that now, oh, wouldn't man. we? <laughs> I know, because here's the thing. We went back there the third day, and it wasn't good. Oh, hey, I know why, though. I, I think I remember why we didn't go back the second day. We had reports the water level was rising, and it may have risen even as we were leaving that day. See, that happens there in the Bear Trap. It's uh, It comes out of the Bear Trap Canyon, which comes out of Ennis Lake. And so it's, it's sort of like a tailwater fishery, except... Uh, you never know when they're going to release water. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so point that I'm desperately trying to make, and, and I keep uh, uh, distracting myself, is that the, the second day on Tuesday, uh, we decided to do something new. And I had heard that the fishing on the Madison River between Hebgen and Quake Lakes was great. Uh, there were rainbows moving upriver to spawn, so we decided to give it a try. And I thought it'd be fun to talk about that because we really have never reflected on that trip so in fact who knows what we're going to remember yeah Yeah. exactly so how so did which way did we go to get there did we go we went south so we yeah so we were you know if we left belgrade montana we drove down on uh, 191 uh you know past four corners We're, we're basically following the gallatin river all the way and then a few miles north of West Yellowstone, we, we took the, the, the road that takes you over to, uh, eventually take you over to Annis. Uh, but it follows the Madison River, and yeah, that, that, that's where we were. So now there's, you always tell this story when we go down, but that must be on the other way back about the mountain men who abducted that runner. Oh, yeah, that, where they captured where them they was captured just them? off the Norris Road. Um, and that's coming from Ennis 
when we came right, back that way. Right. Yeah. That that kind of cuts off. Yeah. Just, just we took the cut off the Norris Road as we're heading north of Venice, and instead of going all the way up through uh, like either Three Forks or to the interstate. Uh, yeah. So we we came back that way, but yeah, we drove down that day. That's a 98-mile drive. I map-quested it. I don't, I don't have a stellar memory, but do you remember how wintry it was Man, that it, morning? It was a lot of snow coming down. And this yeah. is April. The, yeah. April 19th, in fact. I looked, and yet it was snowing. It was, uh, well, it was a cold day. Yeah. And, we, and the rivers, obviously, were not blown out yet no. because the snow hadn't come off the mountains. And so, actually, it was a perfect time to be nymphing uh, yep, for those spring spawners. I think we may have ended up there a little bit later. You know, probably a couple weeks earlier might have been the the prime of the. Yeah, we were definitely at the back. The end runners, of that, yeah. but that was fun. Interesting stretch of river, isn't it? I mean, there's not much to it. No, there isn't. I mean, how, is it even a mile? Yeah, I'm not even sure. It's terrible that I don't know, but uh, yeah, just between. Uh, Hebgen Lake and then Quake Lake, which we'll talk about in just a moment. It's often crowded with oh, fly fishers. Yeah, I and mean, it, they stack up in there. I know, and it even got to be that way. I mean, we didn't stay that long. What we were there, maybe two, two and a half hours. Yeah, two, two and a half hours. Yeah. But there were there were guys there parked, and uh, you know, we we got in at a pretty good time. But it's not like we had the whole place to ourselves. No. And there's some really, really deep pools. Yeah, really, really nice were. runs in that in that little stretch. Yeah, just gorgeous. And I remember too that the the further you walked up, we walked up quite a ways towards the outlet of Hebgen, and there were places where uh, uh, Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks had actually marked uh, where there were reds. I mean, you you could see them if you knew what you were looking at. It's kind of that shiny gravel, but uh, places where there was actually spawning going on. We really didn't fish up that way. We kind of stayed in no, what we... I would describe as holding water. Yeah, those big pools where they're not spawning there, but they're they're kind of stacking up. I mean, just yeah. kind of gaining, yeah. getting their energy, and then getting ready to go up and and actually spawn on those beds. That maybe an interesting thing that we ought to talk about is that right across the road from that. That little place. I mean, there's there's really I don't even remember there being a parking area. You just parked alongside the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's right, right across the road from Cabin Creek Campground. And if you drive into that campground, there's really a stark reminder of the 1959 earthquake, which created Quake Lake. Again, we're fishing between Hebgen and from uh, Hebgen Lake the, the from the dam the water flows out of that and it would would have just been the, the Madison River from then till Ennis Lake but uh, on August 17th 1959 at 11:37 p.m. there was an earthquake uh, measuring 7.5 on the Richter scale it hit the area i i think the epicenter was like 8 miles north of Hebgen Lake somewhere in that area wow that's close oh it is oh my gosh well downriver from where we fished a mountain split in half and half of it slid down into the river valley creating a, essentially creating a new dam and resulting in Quake Lake and it's it's still an eerie sight today uh, there were, I've read there were 80 million tons of rock and earth that slid into the valley. Can you imagine that? Wow. I, I just can't even fathom well, how. It's, 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 it's kind of a mini version of what you think is going to happen to California someday. Yeah, yeah right? I know it. I know <laughs> Where it. Where half of it falls into the ocean. 
And you can visit the visitor center. I, I can't remember that day. I think we might have stopped, didn't we? Yeah. There was, On our way yeah, out, yeah, yeah, we yeah. stopped. And, and as you're driving up to the visitor center, uh, there's there's a there's a huge house-sized rock that you can uh, drive by. I mean, it's it's just amazing the stuff that came yeah. tumbling down. But anyway, back to Cabin Creek. So where we fished was right across the highway from Cabin Creek Campground. And that campground actually straddled a fault line. And, and the reason that we know that is if you visit the campground, and I'm, I'm assuming it's still this way unless things have changed, you can still see a picnic table above this scarp. I mean, where the, you know, where where the ground, you know, this fault line Heat. was, and and yeah. the ground just, yeah, a piece of it just dropped, uh, twenty one feet. So here's a picnic table, and then if you look down this cliff, twenty one foot cliff. Now there's a there's a fire pit. Well, originally that was on the same level, and in that moment, uh, with that earthquake, all of a sudden. It, you know, just dropped 21 feet. Wow. Now, as from what I understand, nobody in the Cabin Creek campground died, but there were 28 people who died as a result of that earthquake, and most of them were right there in the the area just south of there, uh, near near where the visitor center is. So they drowned, or what? What happened? No, they were just, just got caught in all of that rubble. Huh. Uh, as, as it came down, some of them just got buried uh, by that. I, I don't think they drowned. It wasn't that as that much, much as they water. just That much water, yeah, it's just a Madison, right. Yeah. Right, 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 right. You know, I read, too, that there well, – one other thing about Cabin Creek, before we get back to fly fishing, but that day there were two newly married couples who were camped there, and they, they fished the river across from the campground, and they caught nothing. Uh, they didn't, and they said too. They didn't hear any birds or see any critters running around. They said it was just kind of a strange huh. day. In fact, this was in a. Uh, there was a news article in the Bozeman Daily Chronicle back in 2009. I think it was the 50th. Uh, yeah, the 50th anniversary. They ran some articles, and anyway, they they interviewed you know, one of these guys who said, "Yeah, we were there. No birds, no critters running around." They said it was a strange, uh, kind of an eerie day. But in a last-ditch effort before heading back to their cabin, one of the guys plopped his line in just off the bank. Well, that had to have been right where we were fishing that yeah, day. Yeah, 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 and yeah. he caught a five-pound brown. Wow. And he later read that fish head to unusual places when they sense a disaster is coming. Huh. So I have to say the day that – oh, and by the way, Hebgen Lake held. That's the amazing thing. The dam held – uh, but uh, there was a, a new dam created by the uh, the mountain slide. But I have to say, Dave, that day when we were fishing that, I, I, did, I thought about that. You know, I thought about those stories and and maybe with the weather really overcast, snowing, and and the whole area is kind of eerie. You know, then when we we left, you drive by uh, Quake Lake and you can still see you know dead trees sticking up above the water and it's uh yeah it's kind of an eerie sight it is. isn't wasn't it wasn't there a book written by a woman whose husband was killed yeah or a uh -huh. husband whose yep. wife was killed yeah I forget the story Irene Bennett Irene Bennett Dunn she wrote a little book really a good book uh yeah she lost uh her, she and her husband they were from Idaho and their four kids were camping and her husband and three of their kids were were killed. Oh, that's just horrible. Oh, I know. And and her youngest uh, survived, and and he was in a hospital in in Ennis, Montana, for a while with a, a broken leg. And 
what a heartbreak. But she came back. I think she was in her 70s. She wrote the book and and, and came back and visited the site. I can't oh, imagine the emotion. No, I can't either. Yeah, I guess that's part of fly fishing too. Once in a while, you're on stretches of river that have a they, there's a there's a backstory to them. Yeah. That's not even related. Well, that's to fly definitely fishing. one of them. I tell you, and you yeah. can see it just the way the the river flows through there. Yeah. There's also like some machinery, old machinery. Yeah. Remember mm-hmm. that that yep. is on the other side of the river. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's just strange because the pools are really deep. Yeah, you know, some, they are. It's not. It's not like the other like. And it's kind of. I think it's some of that too. Maybe because it's starting to back up from, uh, you know, from Ennis Lake. Wow. Yeah. Or, or I'm sorry, from Hebgen, from Quake Lake. My lake's mixed up. So did we catch any fish that day? What did yeah, your journal say? Yeah, you know say? what? Yeah, I, I had to look. I had to look. And th- this is, th- Dave, this really encourages me because my journal says we did better than I thought. You know, usually fly fishers or any fisherman are known to stretch the truth. But in this case, uh, we undersold the truth. I thought we caught, we just took two big ones out of there. We actually took three that were in the 19 to 20 inch class. Well, the only one that I remember was the one you caught. And for some reason, I don't remember catching anything. But I saw that one fish that you caught. I think it was like more like 22 or 23 inches. If you say. <laughs> it was yeah. huge. It was a big trout. And it was so, the colors were so oh, brilliant. Oh, I know. It was a big male, just these oh, spawning man. colors. And I, I remember that for two reasons. One is because you, you took a picture. I think I yelled and called you over, and you got a picture of it before yeah. I, I let him go. But then my wife uh, framed it for me, so I still have that photo. But the other thing I remember about that trout is it was hovering near the bank of a side channel just below yeah, the highway. I remember that. Which, which I think is where that guy uh, caught that, big that brown. fish. And that's why he was surprised. Well, I was surprised because I, I remember I th- – it's hard to describe it, and I don't remember exactly how that channel ran. All I remember is that to – to get from point A to point B, it was quicker to wade through that channel. And so I was actually headed upriver. Um, surprise, I'm sure you'll be surprised, Dave, that I kind of left you, you know, me. I have to move fast. So I'm heading upriver, come to this side channel. And before I crossed it, I just stopped and I looked and I see this big trout. I'm like, whoa, I got to give this a try. And I've had this experience before where you see a fish and you know, and then you spend all this time trying to catch it. Just, it just doesn't work like out. Like Spring Creek, all those fish oh, you used to see it. on Spring Creek I can never it. get yeah, one to rise exactly. to anything. Well, I drifted an egg pattern by his nose, and he actually, uh, he actually, I think I caught him on the egg pattern. Uh, we were using egg patterns and then the, the size 18 little red brassies or maybe – Maybe I had a Dave's Emerger or something as the the dropper, but it was a little red fly, and I pretty I, I'm pretty sure that it was on that egg pattern. But that was a that was a kick because I saw that fish and kind of stalked it, and it actually worked out. Maybe that was the big shot. <laughs> <laughs> I have not done that well. I know people go all the time to Australia where the water's really clear, and they do a lot of. Uh, a sighting of fish, yeah. you have a sighter, mm-hmm. somebody who's or a yep. spotter, somebody who's spotting the fish, mm-hmm. and then they go stalk them, and, yeah. and that I mean you have to be you have your first oh. cast has to be oh, perfect. I know. Our friend Gary Borgers talked about that yeah. too. I know. I think, man, I I wonder how I would do. 
Yeah, you, not a lot of false casting. Yeah. It's like you get one shot, and that's it. Yep, oh, yeah. that's about it. But really, that was kind of the, I, I guess that's about the extent of the fishing. I mean, what, yeah, what else can you say? I just don't remember much myself. No. I, I, did you catch I, all three? I, I honestly don't know. Hopefully hopefully you caught one of those. It, it's just I funny. Remember, I just yeah. don't remember that much either. It was just that one that that really stood out. Maybe because it, it blended in with the day before. I know we both caught a bunch of them. Yeah, so. we got a ton. There was that one stretch the day before where – you remember they every cast oh. they were hitting. Oh, I know it. It was amazing. It yeah. really was. Maybe though, the most shocking discovery uh, that we had that day was on the way back. Dave, <laughs> Dave, do you want to take it from here? <laughs> I don't want to take it from here. This just reinforces my oh, uh, my uh, my just thoughtlessness. Well, I, I can say that if I do become more forgetful as I get older. I can say that even when I was young, I was forgetful. Exactly. So I, I yes. must not have either dementia or in, you know Alzheimer's. But I left the rod on top of my truck. And it wasn't until about halfway back, I think we were 50 miles on the way back of about a 100-mile trek. And I went, oh, I said, I think I left my rod on the That's top of the right. truck. We stopped. Yeah. A, you know, and look, yep. this is a little red Toyota yeah, pickup little... <laughs> with a topper on yeah, it. Exactly. And I, you know, you're, I think I had another day to fish. Did I use your rod the next day or did I go buy that? I think I went and bought a rod. I can't remember if we used another <laughs> it's one. It's always bad when you're on a fly fishing but, trip to but Montana. But that rod that you lost was what? It was a, that was a nice rod, but it wasn't no, a high end. No, no, no. It was a lower end rod, and I'd had it for many years, and technology yes. at all was really starting to yeah. develop at that point. So, in other words, all's well that ends well. Because That's you, exactly you, you right. Got a, you got a new Orvis out of the and deal, And I never right? told my wife, you know, yeah. why that extra... You know, a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> if you're listening, Jenna, I apologize for my role in that, too. Oh, man. Oh, but, you know, especially when you're on a trip, and it was the only rod I brought. I had other rods, but yeah. I only brought that rod. It was so mad. Man, that is so easy to do. It, it's just a good reminder always to check the roof of your vehicle. I've, I, I think because of that experience, I've done that because I like setting my rod on top of, uh, oh, like, your, your – uh, your, Honda Pilot or something because you know it's not going to get stepped on or, but the downside is if you do that you got to remember to look. The, the only other time I remember as a kid when we left something on the roof of a, of a vehicle we were, uh, my dad and I were deer hunting in Western Illinois with shotgun and slugs but we were at my uncle's place and he, he hand loaded his shotgun shells of course we like to pheasant hunt as well so. Uh, he had a he had hand loaded I think it was like a hundred shotgun shells, and so we're heading to go deer hunting that morning, and we're we're packing. In fact, I'm sure my dad it, he had this little Chevy Vega, uh, the Chevy Vega. Oh, and the, I remember and those. the Ford Pinto. Those yes. were the first small cars, but this was like a hatchback. It was a uh, it really it looked like one of those little Subaru Outbacks. And so he set these 100 shotgun shells, and we're loading the rest of our stuff, and we're in a hurry. And I remember driving down the road, and my dad goes, oh, no. And I could hear this noise. 
you know, of, of like rocks, you know, rocks are hitting the pavement. What was these <laughs> shotgun shells? And it's early in the morning. So we stopped and I still remember we're, we're picking up all these shotgun shells and some of the rims on those things <laughs> were, were kind of ding. Yeah. Yeah. But thankfully none of them, uh, <laughs> none of them discharged. <laughs> I guess it would have had to, it would have yeah. been a perfect storm to hit the primer yeah, just right for that not, to happen. Yeah. But well, uh, the one thing I, in defense of, I remember when we got off the river, it was really cold oh, that day, it was and it was really, snowing. It was so yeah. we were really, kind of sleeting, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was really and so, blustery. And and where we parked, there was a ton of snow, so you were just freezing. So the only thing you could think about was getting out, getting out of the waders, mm-hmm. getting out of your clothes, yep. and getting in the truck. And, oh, I know. And I wonder too if we thought we might fish the the Madison and the bear trap on the way back but a it was so stinking cold and b you didn't have a rod so it's like hey let's go home and get a good home cooked meal that's what we do that was a great day that fish you caught oh my I don't know that you've caught one that is as big as that now on the Missouri maybe yeah but but not on the not on the low on the Madison no that was just one of the biggest fish I've seen you catch that was a that was really a beauty so what about some takeaways Dave well I think one is there are places which simply have intrigue and I think it's worth fishing those places right even if you don't have a lot of success yeah I mean that's just a well known little stretch I think sometimes when you're on a trip you want to make the most of everything but I do think you have to try new places that was a was would be a good example of that now yes you still lived in the valley um, and you know it was still only a hundred miles away, but it was still a hundred miles away. Well, it was. Right? There were other things we could have fished. Yeah. We, we drove by a lot of river to get there, and we could have yeah. gone over to the Yellowstone. That oh day yeah. Too. So, I, I do think that sometimes there's just you need to go fish the places of intrigue and yep. and and just go do it. Yep. Even though there's no guarantee of fish. Right? That's so true. And I think another takeaway is you never know where you might find a trout, especially during spawning season. Uh, even in a side channel close to the road. Honestly, I we could probably do a podcast on all the trout we've caught in these little side channels. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. And some nice ones, too. Yeah. I, I remember another brown on the Gallatin River a few years ago. Uh, well, we won't even go there because that's to the point. You never know where you might find trout. Trout in unlikely places. And the final takeaway is, if you want to upgrade from a cheap rod to a more expensive one, <laughs> leave it on yeah. the top of the truck. Hey, that's right. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, that's well, a great story. Oh, it really was. Thanks, Dave, for that entertainment. Yeah. Hey, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. Here's a comment from Steve in northern Indiana. He says, a comment on extending the life of your, of your fly lines. If you fish in areas that have sand or fine dirt along the shore, you probably need to clean your line more than once or twice per year. After a day in the water where my line is picking up grit, I give the line a quick wipe down before the next time out. No line cleaner solution is needed. That can be the twice a year treatment. For a quick wipe down and an inexpensive product that works well is the Wonder Cloth made by Rio. You can clean two or three lines on one sheet of this stuff. Then you throw the sheet in the washing machine and use it again, although the darn things get lost in the laundry easier than an old sock. for sure. A clean line definitely casts better, and some of us need all the help we can get in that area. Amen to that. That's right. I'm one of those That's a great idea. In fact, I was just thinking about this fishing the driftless the other day and I looked at my rod and I realized 
there's a lot of mud. Yep. And I, I, you know, by the end of the day, I, I was, I can almost hear it grinding my, you know, my reel grinding a little oh. bit. You remember when I slipped and I, I kind of a, it wasn't a lateral ankle sprain, but I yeah, yeah. just, yeah. Well, just I tweaked your ankle. Yeah. Well, my rod ended up in the mud and so my reel did. And so when I looked at it, you know, and all those little tiny, you know, holes on the spool, there's this mud. So when I got home... I stripped out the line and cleaned it out, and I thought, you know, I'm glad I did that because that not only did I clean that spool off, but that line needed cleaning as well. Yeah, for sure. That was a good reminder. Yeah. All right, that's going to do it for today. Do you remember a fine day on the river that stands out? Well, if so, please share it with us by commenting on this podcast link. Again, our site is twoguysinriver.com. Tell us about your one fine day memories and what you learned. And it doesn't just have to be about catching fish. It can no. be about losing your fly rod. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you can find us on all the social platforms, as always. And if you'd like to send us an idea for a podcast, be sure to do so. You can uh, direct message us from uh, Facebook or send us an email at stevedave at twoguysinariver.com. And be sure to sign up for our weekly email alerts on our website. We keep you updated with new episodes and new articles and much more. Generally, we send that out either on Thursday or Friday mornings. We also want to thank all of you who have purchased our book, The Fly Fisher's Book of Lists. And it's really a cliff notes of all the fly fishing hacks and tips that we've accumulated through the years. And for those of you who haven't purchased it yet, you can find it on Amazon. One last thing, continue to refer the podcast. That's how we grow. And we've grown significantly over the last year. We're just very grateful for that. So continue to refer the podcast. Well, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing.